This is the Ignition Point, Clayton Bradley Academy's podcast, where every day we work to help students excel through critical thinking, problem solving, collaboration, and use of our lifelong guidelines and life skills. Today's podcast is part three of an interview with Sue Pearson. Sue Pearson has been part of the highly effective teaching model, which is now called the Learning Centered Schools model, for several years, both in public and private settings. And so she has been discussing the body-brain compatible elements and implementations and examples in our classroom. And we're going to now continue this conversation with Sue Pearson as we finish off this discussion about the body-brain compatible elements. And that really gets into the body-brain compatible element number three, uh, which is meaningful content. And so when we're talking about that, that, ref- that goes back to several things we've already mentioned um, of the being there experiences of you know, making the real world connection, answering that question of why. Uh, but when you're looking at meaningful content, sometimes when we talk about the content that's being talked in the room. It's just whatever, you know, the state or whatever the, the standard or, you know, that is supposed to be taught, uh, which there is power in saying, you know, we follow standards. But um, we want the standards and the stuff being taught in the classroom to have meaning and not just be something that, you know, some politician or some education expert said everybody in the ninth grade should learn. I was very lucky teaching fourth grade for part of my career because that's the year students learn about New York State. And being that we live there and everything, it was really easy to find being theirs, to find concepts, to make connections. So I really enjoyed that in the fourth grade. Um, we went on so many being theirs. The New, the New York State Fair is the oldest running fair in the country, the oh, longest wow. one. And so while it wasn't on while we were in school, we did have the director of the state fair come and he brought programs along to show them. Some of my students had never been there. And I'm hoping that by the next year they did get to go to see it because there's so much to do there. And we got to talk about the Iroquois because they were in our area. And supposedly the Iroquois influenced our constitution in some ways, which was interesting to bring oh, in. Nice. And Hiawatha, Hiawatha supposedly stood on the shores of Lake Onondaga, which is right in the city of Syracuse. Um, there was just there were so many opportunities. And the interesting thing about being there is that I think teachers should realize You might bring a first grade class to a being there site because you're studying a certain concept, but the fifth graders might go to the same site because they're studying a different concept. And it might be that their being there site could be studied from many different ways. Mm -hmm. And you point that out to children so that they don't say, oh, we're going there again. We're going there because they have this to share with us. They have these life skills. They have these concepts that they we can understand from there. So we have gone on many being theirs. Um, I even took them to a cemetery once, which was interesting. <laughs> and we went to the Erie Canal. We went. We, we visited hospitals. I took them to restaurants, city and county government, <clears throat> and we had a lot of speakers come in to the classroom. I'm very fortunate because the Onondaga County Legislator, the current mayor, the head of the school board, and the president of SUNY Environmental College, I all had. I taught them all (laughs) in fourth grade 
or fifth or sixth. And so they're always available to come to my school <laughs> to do something for me. But we had native artists come in, just so many different things. And I, I just, I wish, I know it's hard sometimes because of money. There are field trips that you can get paid for. Sometimes if you're going to a company, they will pay for the field trip because they want to do something special. Or I think Target, the store has field trip grants that they award every year. So, I, and what can you walk to in your area? What's around? I mean, are there parks? Are there stores? We have a hospital about two blocks away from the school that I'm in now. And there's just so much out there that you don't always need a car. And it doesn't have to be an amusement park that you're going to. Right. Although they're fun, you could study things there. Well, and we talk about that with our teachers of, of not even asking for the touristy type of trip. I, I taught a comparative vertebrate anatomy class and we were looking at digestive systems and nutrition of different vertebrates. And so I contacted the zoo here in town and said, hey, I want to bring kids over to the zoo, but I don't want us to just go through the zoo. I'm not asking for just a zoo tour. I want uh, a tour of how do you set the diets of your animals? You know, can we talk to some of the zookeepers that deal with nutrition? Um, they have our zoo has older elephants, um, and so how are they taking care of? Uh, they're kind of they're called geriatric elephants at this point. They're uh, quite old, and so how is that diet different than maybe a diet that they would have been giving uh, to those elephants at an earlier time? Um, where do they get the food that they're using at the zoo? And so. Uh, the zoo was really nice to work with us. They brought us into the backside uh, and they got, you know, the kids actually did a service project while they were there because part of the, the zoo getting food, they get food from grocery stores and stuff. Sometimes it's food that's getting ready to go bad. They have to get it sorted into stuff. So we did a service project there as part of that of sorting with the zoo and helping them get stuff set up into bins and that sort of thing as part of that trip. And then the nutritionists were able to come in, talk to the kids about that. Now, the zoo has very strict policies about, you know, feeding the animals. You know, you got to be careful about that. Yeah. So they were like, we can't have them going out with our zookeepers and actually, you know, putting food down for the animals. But uh, they got to help in, in a lot of respects with how to set that up all, all the way up to it being taken to the animal. And so they got to see that whole process um, on the back end of that. Now, if I would have just contacted the zoo and said, hey, you know, we want to bring a school trip over, you know, they would have given us a kind of the typical school trip experience. But it's the teacher trying to make that content meaningful in that way of asking the right question to the place you're going. Of I don't want the kind of tourist experience here. I want it to be more informative. This is what I'm targeting. Here's the standards that I'm working on with my kids. Here are the lifelong guidelines, life skills that we're working on right now with our kids. So it'd be great if you can show these. How, how are those life skills implemented in your company or in your business or at your store? Um, and you know how are the policies set in place to do that? That's all helping the kids then see the meaning in what we're learning in the classroom. And it's not just let's go on a, on a fun trip with kids. Um, you know, we, we want it to have that real world, that real feel of like, why is this important for me to know? How is this used in the real world? Um, and if you can help answer that question as an adult uh, to your students and your students, that, that solidifies a lot more in the brain. It helps set those pathways up a lot better in the brain of why this is important uh, to what we're learning. Well, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I once had a guest speaker who I had heard about and I invited him to come and he did. 
And he brought along some different brains. Like he brought along a monkey brain, a cow brain, and a human brain. Oh, wow. And it was just amazing for the kids to look at the different brains and to imagine the character, the person, the animal that it came from. And when they looked at the human brain, they're going, that's how mine looks. <laughs> and I said, well, pretty much with the basic standards. And he was very, he explained a lot about the brain. And I had even invited parents to come in if they were interested, because I want them to understand about the brain and the things that we're doing in the classroom. And after he was done, a couple of them came up and said, I can't believe this. This was amazing that I got to see a human brain. And I don't know if you could guess what the kid's big question was. No, what was that? Can you guess? Whose brain was it? They <laughs> <laughs> wanted to know. Who, and the gentleman said, someone who donated it to science. Yeah. <laughs> so, but they were, they're looking around the room, you know, is anybody here missing their brain or something? Which is kind of cute. That's funny. Uh, yeah, that worked out well. That's awesome. The questions that come up with, and we we've done several brain dissections with our staff, and and uh, talked about how to use that in in different settings, and and just learning that, understanding the way that when we talk about with our staff, it's kind of that being their experience and meaningful content to say if we're talking about the hypothalamus, we're talking about the uh, you know uh, uh, the the hippocampus, we're talking about the frontal lobe, we're talking about the occipital lobe, we're talking about the temporal lobes. When we're talking about those with our staff we do that being their experience where we're dissecting we typically use sheep brains it's easier to purchase those um you know and helping them see that real world now some you know that that's some people can handle that better than others um but it's that it's that meaning in the content of like we're not just saying you know this the structure's there just trust us believe us uh, the amygdala it's there we promise you know, we're showing it. We're we're actually seeing where it is in the brain and why it why it matters. How that, you know, kind of all of that emotion center that's right there in the center of the brain, um, that's so important when we're talking about that with our students um, and our teachers using it with students, and so they get that kind of that real world once again experience of like why is this taught this way? Oh, now that I understand more about the brain, I get it. I see it. Um, and that's important for us to do with our kids. And it finally gets us to the last body brain compatible element, which is application to mastery, um, wiring into long-term memory. And so uh, this part is what we are hoping uh, every kid in our classroom gets, right? That they master the content that we're learning, that they've, they've built that program in such a way that whenever they have to apply that program to a new circumstance, that they have the right program to bring up. But it's a very challenging piece to try to get your kids to master because, you know, like you said, you've had classes up to 40 kids uh, at a time that you're trying to help all of them hopefully master um, this content. And so that application piece to get mastery to happen uh, so crucial to what's learning, but is, is probably one of the biggest challenges out of all these body-brain compatible elements, really. I would agree with you. Um, because all, if you have 40 students, all 40 brains are different, and yours is different than theirs, too. And, and students are at such a variety of learning levels. I'm thinking after, the, after COVID, and they're saying how many students were affected by not being in the classroom and scores are down and everything else. They really didn't have adequate time 
to work with content all the time. Mm -hmm. Some schools were open, some went virtual, ours went virtual, and just sometimes getting the kids onto their Chromebooks was a challenge mm -hmm. um, and getting them awake in the morning or something like that. So I think providing adequate time, and that comes in with perhaps the inquiries that we provide for students to do because the inquiries allow them, I mean, if they can do one or two inquiries about a skill or a topic and they've got it, why should they have to do more necessarily? They can move on to something else. But to have the whole class doing maybe the same thing all the time, it's okay once in a while, but if you've got kids that are down at this level and kids are up at this level, it can be challenging for some and boring for others. With the inquiries, I think they have opportunities to choose what works best for them, especially because the multiple intelligences are incorporated mm -hmm. there so that they can use this, the talents or the skills that they have now to learn about something that they would like to learn. And then maybe they do one of the ones that's a little bit harder for them yep. because they didn't have that intelligence as developed or whatever. So I think that the inquiries provide, help provide adequate time and they provide choice, which is very important, especially in meaningful content offering choice. So I do find that important and then giving them immediate feedback Mm -hmm. is very important um, so that they don't go home with the wrong idea. If you send them home with a math paper for something that they don't know how to do and they go home and do it the wrong way for 40 problems, the next day you have to try to undo that. And that's really difficult because they've already created the wrong program. Right. So I think you have to be cautious in what you give for students to do at home and I know we've talked about that a little bit and some of the different things that they could do so that they perhaps don't pick up the wrong program that you then have to undo somehow. And it takes twice as much work at least to undo the wrong program as it takes to build the right one. Yeah, and you talked about some very key elements here of multiple intelligences, which we know multiple intelligences are identified as ways the brain likes to learn and every brain is going to be different in that um, and it's okay right. to recognize that that I might be a very nature uh, oriented brain and so if I can see it in nature and do it you know go through that side of it I get it faster um, and I might not be as much of a um, auditory learner or something like that so helping them understand how do you take in content the easiest how does your brain process it the easiest? Um, so that when you're learning something new, you kind of have a pattern that you can go to to get that started, to jumpstart it. But then not living there. We don't want somebody to identify a multiple intelligence and say, oh, well, I'm just good at this, so I never need to read. I'm not, I just, I don't, you know, that's just not my thing. Um, no, it's, it's, you've got to work on some of that along the way. But when you're encountering something new, you might not want to encounter it in text first then. Um, if you know that that's one of the areas you struggle with. So maybe you do want to encounter it in a visual setting, or maybe you do want to encounter it in um, you know, a musical way or whatever, so that it kind of starts that process rolling. But then you need to also, like you said, challenge yourself a little bit over here and say, let's encounter it now over here in this area that you know your brain doesn't, isn't your brain's go-to, I guess, would be the thing. And so 
that's one of the things we work on with with multiple intelligences. Sometimes I think that's interpreted wrong, and and um, people just think, oh, well, that's you know, I have to have a lesson that has seventeen different uh, ways to introduce this content, um, and that's not the case. You know, you want to have choice, you want to have uh, some opportunities for kids, but um, giving them some ways to learn it, especially if it's brand new content, um, in a way that their brain will receive it the fastest but then challenging them with that in other ways as they learn, as they do these inquiries, as they do different activities while you're learning that content. Because the goal is that they're mastering the content. Um, and then, like you said, that adequate time, that is so hard as a teacher uh, because it's like we have so many things that, that we feel like we need to master by, by the end of that school year. You know, there's, there's, there's all kinds of standards, you know, I, the joke, I, I, the people that write standards, they've like never encountered a standard that they don't like. Like, you know, it's like a new income. Let's add that one. But they never take one out. You know, it feels like. And so it it seems like as a teacher that it's an insurmountable task to to get all of these standards mastered by the end of the year. And so then you kind of get in that hurry up mode of like, I got to get this kicked off right from the beginning and we got to run, 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 run. And then all we're doing is leaving kids behind the whole time. The goal is that they're mastering the content. And so if if we're just leaving kids behind and there's all these gaps in their learning, well, then the next year they're going to have a harder time because there's all these gaps that now they never got. And, and now the next teacher is trying to build off of that learning to learn something new. And there's a big gap in that learning because the they didn't have adequate time to really get what they were needing to get. And so that's a huge part of mastery. Um, and then, like you said, that immediate feedback that is so crucial to making sure they're doing it the right way uh, in the classroom. That's it, it's it's an incredible task that we give our teachers every day. Um, and and for somebody that's not in the classroom, uh, you know, sculpting a brain, trying to get it to learn, uh, trying to get it to understand something new, trying to get it to to do something it's never done before. That is not easy work by any means whatsoever. And I think we have to remember that when your class is ready, they can help write the inquiries that mm. they're going that the class is going to use. They may need help at the beginning, but then as they go through the process and year after year, they may be able to write their own inquiries or inquiries for the class to use. And another thing that we did, I'm trying to think now, I, I don't know that it's been mentioned as much, but about students becoming an expert in a topic. And it was like a year long plan that they went through. And they, whenever they had time, you know, kids are always saying, I have nothing to do, what should I do now? <laughs> whenever they had time, they worked on becoming an expert in some topic that they had discussed with me, the teacher, and then they would research it. They would find out more about it. They would find information on the computer. If they could do it in real life with their parents, they would do it. And at the end of the year, they gave a report on the expert information that they had to share. And one young girl actually wanted to become a zoologist and her mother arranged for her to go to the zoo and talk to the director and go around and meet some of the people who were taking care of the animals. Yeah. She did become a veterinarian. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she started off on the right path. But I'm thinking that this is something else that students can do when they say, I have nothing to do, or what should I do next? And I had an envelope around the room for every student with their topic on it. 
And if somebody else came across an article in a magazine, in a newspaper, they could clip it out and put it in the envelope so that the student would have it and be able to use, you know, use it as reference. So that's another way to do kind of an inquiry about becoming an expert in something because they had to tell me why they felt they wanted to be an expert in that and what it would be like. And did they think they could meet someone or had they already met someone who was an expert in that? So, and again, we could bring in the life skills and the lifelong guidelines and all the content we had learned during the year. So that's another way that teachers can bring learning into the classroom. Well, because mastery is, is part of that extending beyond the classroom walls. And, you know, we talk about that with, of course, being their experiences and guest speakers. But when you get a kid that starts to do that, venture out on their own to say, I want to learn how to do X or I want to learn more about this idea. What they're also going to find is where some of the things that we're learning in class connect to this. Like it, it goes back to that. Maybe this is why I need to know that math calculation is because if I want to be a zookeeper, um, I might have to, or a zoologist, I might have to use that math in calculating the right dosage for an animal or the right ingredients for a nutritional value or the, the a right amount of space that this animal needs for uh, them to be in a healthy environment in a zoo, whatever may be the case. And so it's when they start to research these, it helps them also answer that question for themselves of like, why am I learning this content over here in science or over here in math? Or why do I need to know this in history? It's connected to this beyond the walls of our classroom activity, um, which is part of that mastery process. It's part of that applying this thing that I'm learning here to a completely different setting um, that helps my brain then figure out you know different ways to bring that up. And, and when you, the brain starts bringing up that program and using it in a successful way, well, we know that that's solidifying it into long-term memory, which is the goal, right? Like the stuff we're learning in our classroom, we don't just want to memorize it for a short period of time. It's in short-term memory and then it's kicked out. We want the important stuff to get into long-term memory, the into those programs that now they have in their back pocket, so to speak, that when given the right environment, they can pull that right program out, they can apply that program in the right way, and then you know get the, the solution or the answer or whatever that they're needing uh, to be able to go on to the next step. And so that's a, it's a powerful part of our model of making sure students see that outside of the classroom, extending, whether that's a personal project, whether that's an expert project, whether that's you know, a, even a project that the teacher is just assigning that goes beyond what we're talking about every day in the classroom. I agree, totally. Well, Sue, I, I thank you so much for your time today. I, it, we went a little bit longer than what I'd, I had asked you to, to plan for, so I appreciate your time. I know that you're busy. I know you've got a school that you're uh, you know, connected with that uh, you work with every day. Um, and, and I know that you've probably got things you need to do there. So thank you so much for sitting down and talking about the body brain compatible elements. Thank you for the work that you've done on this new book that, uh, it will be coming out shortly and we'll make sure people know when that book comes out. Um, and so the, just the work that you've done historically with the model that gets us to that next step of what we need to do in education, your impact on education has been amazing. And I just want to say thank you for that time and energy that you've put into this. Well, I want to say thank you to you and your staff and your students for partaking in this model. It's not an easy one to implement, 
from the beginning. It requires a lot of thinking and a lot of new patterns and developing new programs for all of us, the students, the teachers, the parents. And I applaud you for taking this on. So please extend my thanks to everyone there. All right. You have a good day. You too. This has been the Ignition Point, Clayton Bradley Academy's podcast, where every day we work to help students excel through critical thinking, problem solving, collaboration, and use of our lifelong guidelines and life skills. If you'd like to find out more about our school, you can find us on our website, www.claytonbradleyacademy.org, or on social media sites, at CBA STEM or at Clayton Bradley Academy. We hope you have a wonderful day.